0: We can't find an open case matching the phone number you're calling from. To connect you to an agent, I would require the serial number. Once you've located your serial number, press 1.
1: It's called CX, or customer experience. And with each passing year, what you've been experiencing while on hold trying to get help is not good. I was
0: really angry that I had to spend four and a half hours on the phone, even though the people I spoke with were delightful, but they couldn't resolve the situation. They couldn't get the billing right. They couldn't give me the deal that their representative came to my house to give me.
1: Listener Maddie in Wilmore, Kentucky, with a customer experience of the cable company Spectrum billing her before they'd even started her service. And there's more. You called in with much much more. Here's James in Avon, Massachusetts.
0: Customer service is at its lowest peak in history, I
2: believe. I tried 20 times or so to contact someone at Walmart and uh, it was impossible. And then when I got to the pharmacy, they said they would put someone on and they did want to hear my complaint.
1: And then there's Heath Farmer in Laguna Niguel, California, who got tossed into an Instacart black hole after they delivered his groceries to the wrong address.
0: And so we called customer service, told them that we didn't get our groceries. They
2: said no problem. They would refund our delivery fee. And then we were banned from Instacart. Since then, we've been calling. We've been doing the chat uh, customer service. We've been doing everything we can to figure out why we got banned from Instacart after the delivery person messed up our delivery. Uh, We haven't gotten any uh, resolution on that. And every time I try to get resolution, I keep being told that their decision to ban me from Instacart is final. And it's not just me that's been banned, it's also my wife because they banned our address.
1: Now, Heath could find a little bit of sad humor in it all, but this listener? Nope.
0: When I called the extension, she told me to. I always get put into the tech department, and the tech department doesn't know anything about it! How can you treat a customer that way?
1: <sighs> this is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarti, And no, you're not imagining it. Your customer experience has gotten more convoluted, more frustrating over time... And there are specific reasons why we're going to find out today. Joining me first from Chicago is Jeannie Walters, founder and CEO of the customer experience consulting firm, Experience Investigators. Jeannie, welcome to On Point.
3: Thank you so much, Magna. I'm delighted to be here. Okay,
1: now part of me always thinks that when we do listener voicemail solicitations, we're sort of asking for a a self-selected population (laughs) of of unhappy folks, but... Mm -hmm. How representative is what you just heard about the the customer experience that many people seem to have when trying to get service these days?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think unfortunately it is representative, right? And I think that last caller really summed up a lot about how a lot of people feel. But I we're seeing this on both sides of the interaction too. We're seeing customers are getting frustrated as well as the people who serve them. And so I think it's it's really a complex situation, unfortunately, that a lot of customers are paying for.
1: Okay. So before we get to some of the main reasons why, I keep using the phrase customer experience, which makes mm-hmm. me sound... A little bit like um, I'm doing a branding exercise for the industry right now. So maybe what is the difference between customer experience and customer service?
3: Sure, sure. So customer experience is really about every interaction that a customer has with a brand. So that's before they even become a customer, every email, every time they walk into a store, every time they visit a website, everything, Um, as well as, you know, purchasing and receiving products and services. And customer service is more of what happens when things go wrong, right? When people have to reach out and get some help because something isn't working right within that customer experience.
1: Okay, so then I'm going to strike my using of customer experience because we're really focusing on customer service for this hour. Because when people, when things are going right and people, uh, you know, have a good experience in in purchasing their their service or their item, great, mm-hmm. good. I mean, mm-hmm. that that's the system functioning as it should. But the frustration that we're hearing and that. You know, total transparency, I share. I try to avoid <laughs> as much as humanly possible having to get on the phone with anybody because mm-hmm. it won't be a person, right? It'll be, a, uh, it'll be an endless loop of, of, uh, of a computer on the other end or a <laughs> bot on, online. So, so, I mean, what are some of the main reasons, the two or three main reasons that you mm-hmm. see why the service end of things seems to have b- gotten so much harder for, mm-hmm. for we
3: customers, Well, I think in some ways it does relate back to customer experience, because if they're not thinking about all of these steps and they're not thinking, the brands aren't thinking about what happens when things will go wrong, because there will be things that go wrong. We can't assume that everything's going to go right all the time. Actually planning for that and being prepared for that is is a key part of it. And unfortunately, a lot of organizations just never get there. They think everything's going to work perfectly. And when it doesn't, they're totally not prepared to solve the problem. So that's one reason. I think the other reason is there are so many places of input now, right? You can grab your phone, you can go through an app, you can sit at your computer, you can walk into a store, you can, just like you said, interact with sometimes bots and chatbots and things like that, that all of that input has to go somewhere. And so we know that there's also been a problem with labor in this country, right? We have... Uh, employee shortages in some places. And so when all of those things come together, the customer is left with a lot less choice of how to resolve a problem. And by the time they get there, they're already frustrated. And my definition of customer frustration is really that feeling of anger or disappointment combined with a lack of control. Mm -hmm. So by the time you get there, there's already this high emotional output. And then there are, fewer places to kind of find that person in a simplified way because we have all these ways of interacting now. Okay. So and and they're getting more and more more, uh, complex because sometimes when I when I
1: get on the phone uh, with certain companies and eventually I get to a person. Yeah. These (laughs) days with technology, though, with these days, sometimes I'm like, are you a bot? (laughs) <laughs> or, or are are you a deep fake? I mean because I, I mean, how can you actually know? We'll come back to that in, in a second here. But but um can you just tell us briefly what does your uh what what is the work that you do as a mm-hmm. customer experience consulting firm
3: trying to mm-hmm. improve all this, I guess? Yeah, that's exactly right. We we really want organizations to be proactive about this, to really plan for it, to look at okay, how can we give somebody the right information in the right moment so that the customer feels in control, because a lot of what's happening is, you know, if you're going through a shopping experience online, one of the biggest frustrations is you click, 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 and then all of a sudden you get to the checkout and the cost is totally different because it's adding shipping and fees and all these things. So not giving somebody that information earlier in their journey is very, very frustrating. And so that's when they might call and say, what's going on here? I'm feeling deceived, you know? Mm. And so I think what we do is really look at the entire customer journey, as well as understanding what is the promise that we've made customers? Let's make sure everybody in the organization understands that so we can live up to that promise. Because otherwise, your version of customer service might be different than mine. And it, and we might be asking all of our employees to make judgment calls instead of really defining what that looks like. I mean, the promise basically seems to be for
1: every business out there that we will offer you a product or a service. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work, we'll fix it. <laughs> Simple, Right. <laughs>
3: Yeah, it should be. Unfortunately, there's this thing called fine print, right? <laughs> and if it's in the fine print, it's usually something that they don't necessarily want you to see. And there, and that has become so uh, automatic for so many of these arrangements that there's fine print about opting in, right? Like if you don't get back to us, this free offer is going to turn into something that will show up on your credit card statement every month that you don't even know about. Or you know if you accept this product it doesn't mean that we're going to accept your return if if it doesn't work so that fine print can get really tricky and i think it's just a really kind of nasty practice frankly agreed
1: <laughs> so who are the who would you say uh, what industries are would you say are really standouts in terms of how frustrating it is for their customers mm-hmm. to to get the help they need
3: well, it's funny because whenever I tell people what I do, three industries come up all the time, and one of them is the airlines. They basically are, you know, they ha- they have practices that we all know about where they oversell flights, right? So they are guaranteeing that somebody's going to be disappointed and not receive exactly what they sold them. Uh, so that comes up a lot, as well as just the frustration of when you have to change. Uh, flights because of different things and sometimes customer service isn't available. Uh, Cable companies and (laughs) internet, that kind of comes up a lot too, because the packages are so complex. So people don't necessarily understand what they bought. They don't understand how to get help. And then when they do reach out, a lot of times the motivation there on the on the organization side is to upsell right so you call as a customer and say my cable isn't working and they say oh you know what you should really add these channels <laughs> instead of solving the problem and then the last one are the mobile phone providers they uh, again that's kind of how they sell if you go from one store to the next one brand to the next they they're not apples and apples. they are apples and oranges. And so it's all up to the customer to figure out these complex arrangements. And then when they don't work out, they really get stumped because, again, they're being sold the next package instead of really solving the problem.
1: We're going to get into the technological details about also what's making Mm -hmm. these systems so much more complex and unwieldy. But I just want to step back for a quick second before we have to head to our first break, Jeannie you're also describing sort of an attitude that these industries have towards their customers. And I'm not hearing that it's an attitude of wanting to actually create the best experience possible to satisfy the customers so that, you know, it feels almost more they just have us on the
3: hook and they know it. Yeah, there is there is some of that. And I think part of that is if you look at how business is kind of defined, it's all about more, 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 more uh, customers you know we've got to get more in the door and so they put all their effort in that marketing sales and they don't think about what happens once they become customers and how can we keep them and ironically if you keep them and if you keep them happy you know the majority of customers that are out there will stop buying from a brand because a competitor offers a better experience Mm -hmm. and the delighted ones will do even more for you they will tell their friends they will you know post about it they will bring you more customers So we have to change the attitude.
1: Well, I'm especially thinking about the poor service we get from uh, industries that have, like, a local monopoly. Looking at you, cable companies. We'll be right back. This is On Point.
0: Support for the On Point podcast comes from Indeed.
1: This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty, and today we are talking about or trying to understand why customer service on the phone and online seems to be getting worse and worse, or at least more and more frustrating every single year. And you shared your stories with us. Here is Jeff from Atlanta, Georgia, who told us about his experience with Verizon Wireless.
0: In June, I requested an international plan as I was traveling abroad just for the months and they have refused to take it off after repeated requests and written texts. And unfortunately it's linked to my checking account. So I'm afraid I'm going to have to close my checking account and find a new provider. I think, and I hope the federal trade commission and the FCC are listening to this. And get off their butt and start doing something about this flagrant U.S. company abusing its market power.
1: That's Jeff in Atlanta. And by the way, we contacted Verizon to see whether they had a response or explanation for Jeff's uh, problem. Have not heard back yet from Verizon. Here's Robin who called us from Myrtle Beach. She used to work in a call center. And she says her job was to actually help the customer. But she says things have changed.
0: When I call customer service places now, most times what I get is a loop of buttons and pressing, you know, you you press one button and you go somewhere else and it never gets to a person. And it keeps looping around. And that is the most difficult thing to deal with when you're trying to reach a person to talk to. That is the problem today with these automated customer service lines, if you get to a person, it's very, very difficult and very unprofessional and very discouraging.
1: The customer service infinite loop. I hear you, Robin. And here's Marie, who called us from Washington State and described how her Internet service provider forced her to pay more for her service.
0: They wanted me to do auto pay or they were going to charge me. I complained The guy said, sorry, it's a fee. I said I didn't agree with him, and I hung up. Three days later, this company raised my Internet and cable and phone by $10. So be careful out there. They don't seem to care, and they think that we'll pay anything to get the service.
1: Marie, I'm also thinking that has to do a little bit with that small print, that fine print that our guest Jeannie Walters was talking about a little earlier. And Jeannie is founder and CEO of the customer experience consulting firm Experience Investigators, and she's with us from Chicago Now, I want to bring in Jared Spool into the conversation. He actually joins me right here in the On Point studio. He's founder of Center Center, a user experience consulting firm, and is a former professor of engineering management at Tufts University. Jared Spool, welcome to you.
2: Oh, very happy to be here. Thank you.
1: So before we get into sort of the technological aspect of customer service itself, I'm wondering if part of the problem is the fact that so much of what um, uh, defines modern life has just become more technologically complicated. I mean, is it's not by accident that cell phone companies, wire, wireless providers, internet uh, providers came up in Jeannie's list of sort of uh, the usual suspects of bad customer service. Is it because... What they are actually providing, the technology they're providing, is more complicated than ever.
2: It is. It is more complicated and it's uh, it's systemic. The thing is your wireless at home doesn't just work to do its own thing. Your router is not like a toaster where it toasts and then when it's not toasting, it doesn't do anything else. Your router at home is connecting to all these other things in your house – and all those other things are often made by other vendors. And all those other vendors are doing things. And then it's connecting to the outside world. And so all of that's happening. And then it's compounded by the fact that these businesses very much compete on on pricing structures that – sort of force them to get you in the door cheap, but then they know that once you're there, it's very expensive to switch. Mm -hmm. And because of that, they can then do things like add fees or raise your rates. And you really have no real control over that other than to go through all the hassle of choosing another provider and you don't have that many choices. Eventually you run out.
1: Yeah. Okay, so let's stick with the example of uh, routers because uh, it's a, probably a familiar one uh, to just about everyone listening. Tell me in a little bit more detail what you mean by there's a lot of other vendors involved between the actual, like, blinking lights on the router box in your house um, and, um, you know, the, the node <laughs> of the Internet far away that it's eventually connecting to.
2: Sure. Uh, just thinking about my house— i've got probably about 30 different things that talk to the to the router and any given moment i've got a sound system i've got uh a little amazon device that's constantly spying on me i have uh, a television i've got between my wife and i we have four or five computers and four phones uh and we have uh light switches and, mm. and all these things.
1: So all sorts of devices in the house. Exactly. And any one of those can go wrong. But I was also more I mean in fact I'm more curious about what like were you saying that there are a lot of different vendors between your actual like router in your home and uh the network that say you know Verizon Fios or Comcast internet is providing? Sure, yeah. yeah. So, okay. sure.
2: So so my router is connected to a wire that goes out of the house and down the street to what's called a head box. And then the head box is connected to the central office. And the central office is connected to uh, a large uh, backbone. And the backbone then talks to a lot of other devices. And you know, if I send a text message, Across my Wi Fi to my wife, who's in the same house, that message, the bits of that message probably talk to a 30 or 40 different devices.
1: Okay, so the implication then is that there's just a lot more places where something could go wrong.
2: Absolutely.
1: Okay. But then, you know, shouldn't we still expect that no, you know, okay, fine. It things the systems are getting more complicated, but it's it does not doesn't it behoove the business to still provide the best service possible no matter what?
2: Yeah, and I think for the most part, I I think they <laughs> with the exception of the organizations that sort of live in a monopoly. Uh and and your 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 internet providers and your airlines and they you know it's interesting that Jeannie mentioned things where they are very protected right. by the governments that they work in that that it's very hard to for new competitors to just come on the scene. It's hard for a new competitor to offer better quality instead of lower cost, right? People will pay for something that is a better quality if uh if they can tell the difference. Mm-hmm. But In those markets where the number of choices are limited, you're very much uh, restricted to choosing from the best of the worst.
1: Exactly. I completely agree with you, which is why I keep looking at those cable companies being like, if you're going to get – if you're going to enjoy the the benefits of basically having a local monopoly because it's really, really hard in a lot of places to find any options, well, you know – Give people the service they deserve. Jeannie, I'm going to come back to you in just a quick second here. But there was another quick question I wanted to ask Jared about um, the sort of invisible complications of the technology that we're all dealing with today and if that's part of the problem here. Um, are, Are products sent out increasingly that aren't actually fully ready? And what I say, what I mean, is like they're, that they're they're just more buggy than they were before. But have we been habituated to sort of the, using the old Google phrase of like the perpetual beta world that like that companies are just sending out things that they know are probably not going to work perfectly, but that's okay now. I
2: think that does happen, but I don't think it happens as often as we think. Okay. I think part of the problem is that. Uh, The number of points where something can fail has just grown astronomically and being able to predict all those combinations of failures at the same time is really a struggle. And so I think that they do their best to simulate and test these things in the lab. But there's a lot of problems you don't find out until it gets into the real world.
1: Okay. Being able to predict the combination of failures is hard. I mean, this is a combinatorics problem. I'm seeing exclamation points in my head. That's exactly what it is. (laughs) Okay. Well, uh, Jeannie, I want you to listen here to um, a caller that we heard from a little bit earlier. This is James from Avon, Massachusetts, who had to say this about those chat bots that pop up on a lot of websites.
2: In the case of Xfinity, you deal with artificial intelligence, which is greatly named because there's no intelligence involved in it. It's like an oxymoron. And the really weird thing about that is that the uh, robot does not respond to too many words. So it's really very frustrating dealing with a robot that can only respond to the vocabulary of the Dick
0: and Jane book.
1: So Jeannie Walters... um... What do
3: you relate to that? Yeah, I, I love uh, how simply he put it. Really, but you know, I think artificial intelligence. It's funny that you just mentioned the uh, phrase of perpetual beta because, in some ways, that's where we are right now with AI. We are we are teaching it how to respond to us. We're, by providing those questions. That's how it learns. That's how it grows. And I think there's a lot of potential there. I think, unfortunately, we're at the very beginning of this evolution. And going back to what I said about giving customers the right information at the right time, I think it would behoove these companies to say, hey, these are your options. If you have a simple question, if you have one of these questions this chatbot can help you. Mm. If if not, if it's more complex, which is every call that we heard, they were pretty complex problems. They needed somebody to talk to. And so give people the options so that they know what's happening. Because these simple questions that that sometimes take up a lot of the agent's time you know that means that they're putting more people on hold they're they're making people wait they're not addressing these more complex issues because they're answering questions like where can i find my bill online or you know how do i how do i log in all these questions that get asked over and over and over the bot might be a solution for that but we have to give customers the choice and the option and the information. So again, they feel more in control. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, let's focus a little bit um, before we get to sort of uh, what to do when you actually get on the phone. But the websites themselves. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, um, they become more beautiful every year and um, more sophisticated. But company websites also feel... I hate to say feel because I want actual data, but I'm just giving you my personal uh, experience here, Jeannie. Over the past, I don't know, five, ten years, they, they feel like they're actually more difficult to navigate when you need help. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've they've become more, more clunky. And sometimes even like when I actually need a phone number of someone to call, it takes a lot to find that phone number. Now, those are decisions. Those are conscious decisions made by the company and their designers. I mean – what do you think about that? Have they become more clunky?
3: Yeah, I think there are a couple of things. You're you're absolutely right. Sometimes they hide uh, the numbers, right? Or sometimes the number that's very prominent on the site is actually around sales. So you call that big 800 number and you're suddenly in the sales loop and you can't get to who you need to get to. Because again, that's the motivation of the company. But sometimes they purposely hide the number because they don't want the high volume. They don't want those Uh, customers calling in all at once or because maybe they aren't as well staffed or all these things. And then the thing that I always come back to is, you know, a lot of times these websites are a little bit of Frankenstein's monster because marketing has one part of it and sales has another and service has another. And it's kind of bolted together instead of when these first started being designed, it was a team. It was one team focused on the website. So that's part of it. And I also get a I this is probably not a good thing to get a kick out of but sometimes you hear about things like rage clicks which is when <laughs> somebody's so frustrated that they just keep clicking 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 but what that tells us is that something isn't happening there so the maybe the page speed is too slow or there's confusion or there's broken links and companies have access to that. They have these analytics. So they should be looking at those and responding very quickly. But unfortunately, I think it's so spread out in these organizations that sometimes nobody's in charge of that.
1: Okay. So there's bad organizational design there, if you ask me. But mm-hmm. listener Kent Elliott sent, sent us this on Facebook saying, the whole world seems to be experiencing, quote, <laughs> higher than normal call volume every day, all day, all year. They all need to hire lots more people. No one wants to wait on hold on the phone for hours or stand in line for hours anywhere. The whole world is supposed to wait in line. It's like some surreal Monty Python Kafka skit. <laughs> um, but so, Jared, take us to the, the to the back end here. You, you heard um, Genie say that the websites, in a sense, are, uh, are kind of like a Frankenstein's monster. What do you think?
2: They are. Uh, I think that there's, there's a lot of truth to that. I think that there are a lot of different things in the organization that are pushing in this direction and some of it is the structure of the organization right there's there's one group in charge of sales and another group in charge of support and they and they report at the highest level to the organization you know to the CEO and it's it's sort of a uh, what is it, a king solomon's uh, troubleshooting problem of of how do they divide up the website so that they deliver what they need? And I think that there are some organizations uh, that are really good at understanding that their best chance of making more revenue in the future is to make sure that the customers they have today get the best possible support and they invest in that and there are a lot of other organizations where it's all about acquiring new customers and existing customers are they feel you know they just don't give them any choices so they don't have a lot of compassion for uh investing in in helping them
1: mm. uh genie just before we head into our next break what's your quick response to that
3: uh, I think it's true. I think we need to make sure that everybody understands leaders understand not just what happens when things go wrong, but what they what they're responsible for for making things right. And one way to do that, I want every executive out there to call for customer service of their own organization find out what that's like because they get so disconnected from reality but that's a great way to get people on board with you know what we need to do something about this
1: that is a great idea do you hear that c suite folks across america listening to this now pick up first of all see if you can find the phone number that your customers have to call and then no and and don't don't ask your super brilliant executive assistant to do it go on your website and see if you can find the number and then call and let us know how that was. We'll be right back. This is On Point.
0: Did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair. Be careful, you're digging in a place that's been very peaceful for a while. Do it anyway, dig.
1: This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. And as you know, on this show, we talk about some of the challenges facing the country. And we're also always looking for solutions in terms of how do we get the best for the people of this country and for the nation's economy? How do we get communities healthy and safe all around us? We're trying to shine a light on the way ahead. So we always want to hear from you. What are you witnessing in the city or town where you live? What are the concerns, ideas, solutions that family and friends are sharing with you about any topic? Tell us your story. Leave us your question, your ideas at 617-353-0683. That's 617-353-0683. You can also always reach us on social media, uh, Facebook, we're at On Point Radio. And while I've got your attention... Also, subscribe to the On Point podcast wherever you get your podcasts, or if you've got one of those smart speakers, ask it to play the On Point podcast. Today, we're talking about uh, why customer service has gotten so unwieldy and so frustrating over the past 10 years or so, both the business reasons for it, the technological reasons for it as well. And I'm joined by Jeannie Walters. She's founder and CEO of the customer experience consulting firm Experience Investigators, Jared Spool is also with us. He's founder of Center Center, a user experience consulting firm, also a former professor at Tufts University School of Engineering Management. And let's uh, listen to your voices again for a moment here. This is Jake, who called us from St. Paul, Minnesota, and he actually works in customer service. And here's how he diagnoses the problem.
0: I work in customer service, and it's difficult because so many of these companies have siloed employees into really specific topics and haven't allowed a lot of cross-functional capability and a lack of ownership on specific account types or specific problems. And that's really frustrating for the customer, but it's just as frustrating for those of us in customer service that unfortunately, really sincerely can't help. I actually think this is a function of capitalism. It has tried to siloed Everyone into these very specific roles and all of these different ways to build in different management steps. Why do we need 10 managers to do a single job role?
1: Jeannie, what do you think about that? Because in a sense, Jake is talking about something that comes up over and over again in all in many of our shows, that like this push towards efficiency. Uh, to make systems function as efficiently as possible, Jake is saying that in the world of customer service, that's led to a siloing of expertise that makes it hard for people to actually get information across those silos and then to customers.
3: Yeah, I was nodding along with Jake, and I, I, I always want to say, like, agents are people, too. <laughs> like we have to... We have to realize that they have some limited options when they are put in those situations. Sometimes they don't have the right information in front of them. Sometimes they're not given visibility. So they're trying to help a customer, but they have no idea where that customer has been, what purchases they made, if they've already tried the chat. They just don't get visibility into that when that could be so helpful in just showing empathy and understanding. And to Jake's point about the siloing of expertise, I think that's That's a really, really important point, because when we are dealing with humans, we are complex. We have complex issues if we're calling in. And it's really important that we empower these agents and also give them the respect of the role, because sometimes agents are not treated very nicely as employees. And we really should be looking for people who are able to be that cross-functional support, able to reach out and understand and know when to pass things on in the right way. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, I think uh, a lot of organizations don't give that respect to the agents. And so, I mean, a lot of what we're seeing now, it's on both sides. Agents are more agitated. They're, you know, customers report being Uh, yelled at by agents by having them turn hostile. And then on the flip side of that, the agents are also getting screamed at more and they're, you know, really having people hang up on them in the middle of conversations more. So this is this is a bad situation on both sides. Yeah,
1: We're going to hear from some more agents here in just a second. But uh, Jared Spool, again, turning to the uh, the operations side of things. There is a, a phrase that uh, that you told our producer about um, that seems to play a big role here that I just want you to explain really quickly. Technical debt.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so technical debt is what happens when a manufacturer or uh, a software provider decides to cut some corners Not and not quite... Uh, Deliver the product that they had hoped to pro- deliver, but because they've run out of time or money or the market or they have to get things ready for the holiday season or something, they they uh, they decide to defer some some capabilities. And we see this a lot. For example, uh, Apple just announced a new operating system for their phones. And there were features that they'd initially touted that were in the very first release, but then there were features that came out in the point 0.1 release, and there'll be features in the point 0.2 release. And it's, it's called debt because it sits out there and it lingers like a credit card bill. And You end up paying more down the road for trying to fix it than you did if you'd gotten it into the system, into the product. Uh the first time, and that that debt accrues. It accrues both in support calls because the product's unfinished. It accrues in uh, complexity down the road because things that we're supposed to work together don't. There's all sorts of things that show up.
1: Okay, fascinating. uh. Mm-hmm. This is a big issue that we're taking on here because now I'm thinking there's like f- there's like four or five clear areas of improvement that the two of you have identified. Um uh, which I' want to I'm going to want to hear solutions in just a few minutes. But I did say that we we spoke with some actual some customer service agents, too. and Jeannie, particularly to your point about when when irate customers finally get to an actual agent. Uh, that, that person, is that's a, per, that's a human too, mm-hmm. and they are <laughs> suffering from this very, very broken system. And to see what it's like to work in one of those call centers, we spoke to uh, an employee named Mark. He works for a major cell phone carrier.
0: The mental stress that we get on a day by day by trying to not only deal with irate or
2: upset customers, but we turn around, we have irate or upset managers about, why we're not performing at the level they're doing. Or can you imagine talking to 70 people on a day-by-day basis yelling at you about things that you didn't even cause the issue in the first place? And that's back to back to back
1: to back. So that's Mark, who works in customer service for a major Cell phone uh, carrier. We also heard from Jennifer Hudson. She lives in Pennsylvania, and she worked in customer service for 30 years in exactly the kind of industries that we're talking about today, websites, digital marketing, the like.
0: The amount of abuse that just obliterated us, uh, my coworkers and I, for so long since 2020. It, it was just unbelievable and insane and so unhealthy. And uh, anytime I could get a grateful, thankful, patient, considerate person on the phone, it just, I held on to that call <laughs> because it, it helps you get through your day.
1: And Jennifer wishes that when people do finally get to a customer service agent on the line, as we've mentioned, that they'd remember one thing. This is another human being. As much as you're paying for a service, like you're talking to a person just like yourself,
0: you know. And and that seemed to be just gone from a lot of people's minds because of everything everybody's been dealing with in recent years.
1: However, Jennifer also sees it from your side of things, from your point of view, because she's a customer, too. And not long ago, she had a free day to catch up on things she needed help with, like her retirement accounts, her health insurance, trash disposal, things like that.
0: Almost every number I called had a callback system because there were not enough live agents in the moment available to be able to help. So I think it was three or four different sets of calls I did. Um, I didn't reach someone right away. I had to wait for them to call me back. And I didn't realize that had become the norm um, because I just haven't made calls in a while because I haven't had time because I'm working by day. And um, so that was, you know, a cultural shift that I found interesting, you know, in the job industry and seeing all the impacts of what's going on in the world since 2020. All right. Thank you very much.
1: Bye. And Jennifer, by the way, if I ever get you on the phone, I will uh, be as polite as I possibly can be. Uh, Jeannie Walters, though, what you mentioned earlier that uh, when you finally do get a, a human on the phone, mm-hmm. Which sometimes I'll admit, sometimes I just yell into the line, "Agent, agent, agent, agent," until the computer <laughs> lets me break through. But um, that that the the script that the that the customer service person is told to read wherever they are in the world is not one that's designed to actually solve your problem, but it's actually designed to upsell. Ultimately, mm-hmm. uh, what what are some of the consequences
3: of that? I mean, tell mm-hmm. me more. Well, I think really when we over script like that, we're also not letting humans be human and the customer can feel that. And empathy is a finite resource. So once once you get to a certain part of the day, it's hard to generate that empathy and show empathy to those customers. And so that's what I think customers react to so quickly sometimes because it doesn't feel like a human conversation. If it's over scripted, if it's about selling, if it's clearly something that they're they're kind of emotionally checked out of, then humans respond to that level of uh, neglect really as well. And so I think we have to really think about how can we empower agents to just be more human? How can we give them the right tools, the right information, so that they're allowed to say, you know what, I don't have that answer in front of me, but I'm going to find out. Or I know who to call or anything like that. Instead of this, you know, rote, uh, I'm sorry to hear about your issue and blah, 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 because we we respond to that as customers.
1: Okay. Now, Jared, you have an example of here of how, um, the system can be improved. Can you tell us about the Australian bank that you consulted with? They had a very particular problem.
2: Yeah. So uh, the problem that they had was that in order to reset your password, you had to call their call center. You had to dial the Australian version of of a toll-free number and and do it. And the reason that they had created that wasn't because they – were uh, they were malicious or they didn't think it was important? It has to be with history. What What happened was they were one of the first banks ever to do online banking to do something other than a website that told you how to find the nearest branch and what the current interest rates were. And you could go in and you could look at your accounts. But their systems on the back end were really complicated. They had 13, 14 different systems on the back end that a teller would interact with in person at a bank branch or a bank manager would interact with. and. Th- In order to implement these systems uh, uh, and get it so it had a a unified experience for the customer, they had to do a a bit of magic. They created this sort of shell on the outside that looked like you were dealing with just one system, one Mm -hmm. website. But in fact, you were talking to 14 different computers on the back end that weren't designed to talk to each other. And so when they first rolled this out, you had to – you had to have an account on each one of those. So they hacked it. They basically said, Okay, we're gonna when you create a new bank account, we're gonna Put your username and password on all 14 of these systems. What they didn't have time to do, this goes back to the technical debt thing, they didn't have time to do in the first release, is give you a way to change it. And because they weren't 100% sure anyone would do banking online, this was a big bet. Oh, I see. They they were like, oh, well, we'll just have them call the call center. I mean, how often does someone change their password? But
1: that so, but that lingered year after year after for year. For 14 years. Okay.
2: <laughs> and suddenly, they discovered that the number of calls were costing them about $75 million 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 a year just to change passwords. Okay, And the software that would take to let you do that only cost about $2 million to build. But the problem was the organizational structure was such that the team that could spend the $2 $2 million didn't have the, the budget, whereas the support team just They were spending $75 million, but their budget couldn't be shifted until you got to the CEO.
1: Okay. So over and over again, I hear basically this, like, accretion. Right. Of business practices and technologies that are leading to this complexity where what both of you seem to be talking about is like there needs to be like a whole of business analysis done about like how can we improve the system overall, which sounds very expensive to me. Um, but I did we have just a couple of minutes left to go. And I wanted to actually talk about at least in in my mind, an example of a uh, an industry in where uh, where customer service seems to be doing all right. And um Oddly enough, in my mind, it's the financial services industry because, Jared, I was talking to you a little bit earlier about uh, how whenever I pick up the phone, for example, from one of the big giants, say, Fidelity or Vanguard, I get what I need very, very quickly. The, those folks are knowledgeable, and if they don't know the answer, they hand me off to the right person that does. Why, do, first of all, are they doing better, and if so, why?
2: Yeah, so they, they um, in order to be able to to do some of the functions that the customer support person needs to do in a company like that. They actually have to pass tests that the federal government puts in place just to be able to dole out financial system
1: help. So it's because the industry is regulated. Exactly. Okay, so they, there has to be a basis of knowledge, but then even internally, they've decided like, okay, if customer service agent X doesn't know the answer to my question, they will very quickly find the person that does. It's it's like the opposite of that siloing that we were talking about earlier.
2: Right, right. I mean, they're still siloed in some extent, but but the thing is, is they they are trained to know who to go to. They make sure that person's available and they and then they actually hand off the call. they talk about it. they explain what's going on because the more calls they answer, the more money they make <laughs>
1: yeah. well, Jeannie, you're going to get the last word here today because unfortunately we we're out of time. Where would you look to 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 companies to, right now if they could, to to make the most meaningful improvements in their customer service?
3: I would ask them to ask the question, what if? What if it doesn't work? What if somebody needs help? And literally think about it from that customer's perspective and make those calls. Do some, you know, quote unquote, mystery shopping within your own organization, because that will that will make things more real and make people realize this is where they need to invest.
1: Well, Jeannie Walters, founder and CEO of Experience Investigators with us from Chicago. Thank you so much, Jeannie. Thank you so much, Magna. This was great. And Jared Spool, founder of Center Center, a user experience consulting firm with us here in the On Point studio today. Jared, thank you.
2: Oh, it was a pleasure. Thank you.
1: I'm Magna Chakrabarty. This is On Point.